Hello! Uh, welcome back to H.P. Lovecraft Book Club. Um, so, in this episode, I'll be looking at uh, the facts concerning the late Arthur German and his family. This is a really, really important story uh, because it just pulls together a lot of Lovecraftian themes, and especially the themes that I'm really interested in this, this podcast, such as the sea, the exploration, uh, you got, of course, hereditary issues. You got racial issues. Um, you got, uh, you know, a lot of important elements here in this this story. Um, now, this was originally written in 1920. It was published in the Wolverine in 1921. Uh, it was later published in Weird Tales in 1924 and in 1935. So just like uh, the Cats of Ulthar, it was published uh, three times in Lovecraft's life and um, in different journals. Weird Tales, of course, republishing a lot of Lovecraft's um, earlier work later in its run as, as Lovecraft's fame increased and his popularity among uh, white Weird Tales readers increased. So um, this is a longer story than some of the ones we've been looking at lately. It's it's um, 10 pages. So kind of the line by line analysis I did with the Cats of Uthar may not be possible here, but uh, we'll see how this, this goes. Um, so uh, the story begins with a really, really interesting uh, Kind of commentary on science i think something that of course lovecraft was a materialist he did you know was interested in science and he's right in a time when i think science was was still kind of respected as a source of truth but you know we've got to consider also the early 20th century the the rise of new physics the rise of uh, more anxiety more uncertainty in science um, of course, you got Darwin here. Darwin's got, got to be considered here when we look at uh, Arthur German and his, and this story. But I think deeper in it is just the just the growing uncertainty in science due to new physics. Right, this this realization that when you get down to this kind of quantum realm, the old rules don't apply. What we thought we understood about the world isn't true. Right, all those you know Heisenberg and Planck and those those scientists. Um, who, who begin to kind of question really the nature of reality, right? That's something that a writer like Lovecraft can really grab, grab onto because so much of his perspective is just this unknowability of the cosmos, the fact that we really can't unlock it, right? Now, although this is a much more straightforward biological tale, he does have this broader commentary on science to begin with. Let me read a bit of it. Um, quote, life is a hideous thing, and from the background behind what we know of it peer de de demonical hints of truth that make it sometimes a thousandfold more hideous. Science, already oppressive with its shocking revelations, will perhaps be the ultimate exterminator of our human species, if separate species we be, for its reserve of unguessed horrors could never be borne by mortal brains if loosed upon the world, end quote. Uh, obviously, there is a little bit of Darwinian um, logic there, right? This idea that uh, that our species are all connected, right? We're not a separate special species on this planet, right? That's, of course, one of the great contributions of Darwin is that we're, we're just a branch on this tree of life and, and we're all integrated, right? Now, that said, I'll just come out and say the, the plot of the story. If you haven't read it, you, you should. But um, it's, it's basically this man, Arthur German, realizes that his great, great, great grandmother was, was like a, a gorilla, essentially, from, from Africa. Um, and so this possibility of human-animal hybrids is there. And, of course, you can think of H.G. Wells' 
uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. That was, of course, a scientist creating that. There's a lot of literature, a lot of stories that fall into this theme. And I, I think at the time there was uncertainty about the potential of, of, of humans, you know, being somehow joined or breeding or carrying on their, you know, their, their traits from, from animals. Um, I, I was, there's actually a, an article on Wikipedia, the human Z, the human Z uh, phenomenon. And of course there were experiments throughout the 20th century of actually trying to see if this was, this was possible. So um, that's, that's there. Um, so it's not, as, it's not as bizarre as the story may seem at first, at first glance when you look at what scientists were actually thinking at the time and, and, and all that. So um, obviously this is a story, though, mostly about hereditary, heredity, about uh, descent, about uh, someone realizing their, their family history with horror. Uh, and, and in this case, we have a family which has at several times tried to eradicate its own history eradicate the line entirely when it's real when the truth about that legacy is is revealed to them actually there's two characters in the story that try to abolish the line arthur german achieves it uh, largely because it doesn't have kids uh the others um were the family was carried on i actually think some of lovecraft's best stories are those in which you uh, a character realizes the past of his of his family uh, some kind of hereditary and or some kind of hereditary legacy, um, and that is the source of this this individual horror because it's, it's very personal, right? So much of Lovecraft's horror is cosmic, and he's most well known for that kind of this indifference of the universe to to the individual, and that that's truly a strong Lovecraftian theme. But you know when he's able to to tell this personal story of just someone realizing that that they're descended from something horrific, right? It doesn't necessarily have to branch out into into the cosmic realm to to have that power in the story um so the story begins we're, we're told right in the first page that uh, arthur german the final uh the final survivor surviving member of this german line uh kills himself by by burning himself alive dousing himself with oil and burning himself alive at uh not long after getting this box that he you know, a certain box object, right? So we're not told what the object is. It's pretty clear by the end of the story what that object is in the box. But he sees this box and then he, he almost immediately kills himself, ending the German line. So then the rest of the story is this inquiry into German's legacy, his, his family history, and, and then the, the, the events that led to Arthur German's suicide. So, but the vast majority of the tale is this family history. And I feel, I love that too, because I'm a historian. I'm, you know, I, I like tracing the, the genealogy here and this family being so weird and wild and going on all these different adventures, uh, kind of being pulled to the wild is, is kind of a really fascinating part of it. Um, they're, they're an aristocratic family, right? Uh, Sir Robert Sherman, that may be the most famous. There's two really famous members of this line. Wade, the original one for being a nutty explorer. Um, and Sir, Arthur, Sir Robert Sherman, uh, that would be his, uh, Arthur's great-grandfather. Yeah, Arthur German's great-grandfather. Robert Sherman was a famous anthropologist. So we see science there. And he's, he's uh, also the one who... who who commits suicide, um, just like Arthur does. So somehow a connection between re realizing the truth through science 
and and you know facing the horrific consequences of that so let's go through this i mean the story is told not really chronologically it's not like we, we get the first story and then the next quite in that order but but lovecraft does basically tell the full story of this of this family beginning with uh sir wade german so even he was a uh, uh an aristocrat uh had some noble noble blood and noble noble recognition uh so he's the great 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 grandfather of 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 arthur german and he's just a kind of crazy explorer so this family so he goes back to like the 17th century um or the 18th century maybe no so he 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 dies in an asylum in 1760 or he's put in an asylum in 1765 he lives there for for three years so he dies in 1768 so he did these explorers and the explorations that he did that that kind of begin this horror in the must be in the early 18th century right so at a time when when africa was still largely unknown right you had contacts between the british world and and africa but largely on the coast right largely confined to the slave trade colonization in africa didn't really take off until the until the 1880s right so africa was was still largely unknown but you did have explorers explorers and, and missionaries but not much at this time so there's i'm sure there were some i guess but but what i understand of this period you know sir wade is is ahead of his time in trying to explore the interior of of africa and he comes out of this he, he's in the congo he's exploring and studying congolese civilizations and he's kind of in a tradition of you know people who had been looking for civilized you know advanced civilizations in africa for a while this actually goes back even to before the time of columbus where you have the the pressed uh the sorry the prester john kind of mythology right um now for this we even have to go back to maybe marco polo to uh the voyages of john manderville and other tales of exploration mythical and and real the manderville ones are all in, invented it's all myth uh, but it was presented as straight up real historical narration uh kind of feeding off of the marco polo stories but the idea here being that you know there's great civilizations out there outside of europe right so this idea of europe as the center of the world maybe didn't have that same hold at the at the beginning of the modern era you know because of the stories they were getting from the rest of the world right so um you know and it's not hard to believe that that these that great civilizations in Africa existed, right? You had, of course, Egypt. You had uh, the center of early Christianity was in North Africa. You have Ethiopia, a, a Christian civilization that was kind of cut off from the rest of the Christian world with the Arab conquests. Um, so this kind of mythology of a great kingdom there. Now, that said, uh, we got to remember there were great kingdoms in sub-Saharan Africa. Right. They just weren't really respected in the same, you know, by Europeans in the same way they were seen, obviously, because of racist reasons, because of a racial conception of, of the world seen as as backwards. But that seems not to have been the case in the beginning of the modern era when there's a lot of curiosity about what was was there. So this is from Wikipedia. Prester John was a legendary Christian patriarch and king who was popular in European chronicles and traditions from the 12th through the 17th century. He was said to rule over an Nestorian Christian nation lost amid the Islamic caliphates and pagan lands of the Orient, in which the patriarch of St. Thomas Christians resided. 
The accounts are varied collections of medieval popular fantasy, depicting Prester John as a descendant of the Three Magi, ruling a kingdom full of riches, marvels, and strange creatures. And of course, if you've ever studied uh, you know, world history, you probably know the, the story of the Mali king, Mansa Musa, who, you know, in the, when was it, the, the 14th century, I want to say. Yeah, 13th to 14th century for Mansa Musa. He was the emperor of, the Mal, of, of Mali, and he was famous for going on the Hajj and bringing with him so much gold from, from West Africa that he inflated the local currency during his pilgrimage to Mecca. Uh, so, uh, at least in the Islamic world, and you got, of course, the voyages of Ibn Battutu and others, you know, there, was a, there was a knowledge of these really quite, quite rich societies in in Africa. Now, Lovecraft, of course, is he has to sort of uh, whitewash this, this, this mythology to fit with his, his racist um, viewpoint. So anyways, Sir Wade, Sir Wade German. So what did he find? So he, he explores the Congo. So again, it must be right, you know, the early, the 1710s, 1720s, although we don't really get a date here, but knowing when he's confined, you know, it was early 18th century that he explores this. Um, quote, he had written eruditly of the tribes, animals, and supposed antiquities. Indeed, old Sir Wade had possessed an intellectual zeal amounting almost to a mania, his bizarre conjectures on a prehistoric white Congolese civilization earning him much ridicule when his book, Observations on the Several Parts of Africa, was published. In 1765, this fearless explorer had been placed in a madhouse at Huntington, end quote. So he makes this civilization white, right? It's like a white civilization, like a white isolated civilization in, in the Congo, right? Now, we also learn that uh, that Wade is kind of the first of the mad Germans. There, there's this kind of uh, German legacy of madness that many of its people people have, starting with, with Wade, who gets put in jail before his... You know, his weird uh, studies and his weird behavior. Um, we're also told that during one of his voyages, he brings back a, a wife. And this wife is kept in, quote, oriental seclusion. No one sees him. Now, it's told. His story is he's brought back this daughter of a Portuguese trader who he had met in Africa. Of course, there were many uh, Portuguese and other Europeans who, who dwelt on the coast, you know, as, as part of the slave trade. You know, they were involved in this. And many of them had children, um, mixed race children, who kind of had one foot in Europe and one foot in Africa. And they became very important conduits for trade on the African coast, including the slave trade. So she's one of those, it seems. Um, but she's kept in this seclusion because she doesn't like English ways. Um, her son was born in Africa, so they brought with them this son. Um, so... Yeah, she with, no, sorry. Yeah, she with an infant son born in Africa had accompanied him on the second and longest of these trips and had gone with him on the third, at last never returning. So we know she dies in Africa. That's an important point. But while she's in, in England, stays in this, this remote wing of the, of the German household. So we know she dies and then he takes over the raising of his kid whose name is Philip. And uh, Sir Wade would often tell stories of, of, of Africa, especially when he's drinking. So he's a, he's a drunk as well. Um, quote, but it was the talk of Sir Wade, especially when in his cups, 
which chiefly led his friends to deem him mad. In a rational age like the 18th century, it was unwise for a man to talk about wild sights and strange scenes under a Congo moon, of the gigantic walls and pillars of a forgotten city, crumbling and vine-grown, and of damp, silent stone steps leaving immeasurably down into the darkness of abysmal treasure vaults and inconceivable catacombs, end quote. So he seems to be talking about, like, underground civilizations, archaeological digs, but we also get the suggestion of this, like, the decline of the family, like, descent underground, the descent of his, of his family's legacy and all that. But this is a really great section where he, he goes on these mad rants about, you know, about Africa, and this eventually leads him to being committed as a, as a nut, put there, and he dies three years after that. So I guess that's 1768 when he, he dies in the, in the asylum. Um, so we start to get then the, 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 a description of the, of the German traits under his son, Philip. Um, so he's also, uh, so th there's a couple characteristics of the German family. One is that they, they're really weird. They're, they just tend to be odd. They tend not to quite fit in. They, they have strange interests. Uh, they just have curious behavior. Uh, they all kind of deem mad. A second thing is they have this kind of wanderlust. Many of them want to travel and explore and go to different places, almost like a desire to go back to Africa in, in a sense. And a third thing is they have certain physical characteristics. And this is established really early in the story, in the second paragraph, when we learn that Arthur German had peculiar physical appearance. Um, uh, were different descendants of way German are described as being just straight up physically deformed or having deformities. Uh, you know, here, when we are introduced to Philip, uh, way German son Philip was a highly peculiar person. Despite a strong physical resemblance to his father, his appearance and conduct were in many particulars so coarse that he was universally shunned. Though he did not inherit the badness which, which was feared by some, he was densely stupid and given to brief periods of uncontrollable violence. In frame, he was small but intensely powerful and was incredibly agile, end quote. Now, knowing that his mother is a, is a gorilla, it makes sense that, that he's the closest, right? This, this, this I guess, genetic heritage gets uh, weakened over time. It becomes a smaller and smaller part, but it remains. It remains in the physical features of even Arthur German. So it's kind of an undescribable kind of feature. And I don't think Lovecraft anywhere in the story really kind of lays out exactly what that is. It's just... A oddness it's just other people see it and say that is really a weird face and that's a really weird behavior or that's a weird physical frame or whatever um and unless you know of course because no one would look at him and say ah that's because his mother's a an ape right no one would think that so it's uh it, not not without that knowledge you just get the, well that's a really weird face or that's a really weird uh way of of acting so philip german has this sort of wanderlust he joins the navy uh he marries the daughter of his gamekeeper, uh, a person said to be of gypsy extraction. That's that's a great line, too, where he's got this kind of wanderlust. He's got this kind of draw to the wild, uh, to animals. Um, uh, he joins a sailor during the, the war, the American Revolution, and eventually becomes a merchant man in the African trade, kind of this desire to go back to Africa. And he disappeared into Africa itself. He disappears into you know, while the ship's on the coast of Africa. So he sort of deserts. He's a deserter. Um, so um, so that, he disappears. So Philip II in this line just disappears. Then we have the son, um, Robert German. Now, Robert German is presented here as the height of the German family in, the, in this modern era. Uh, the most respectable, you know, he's 
got the he's, he's got the knighthood again so he's a sir sir robert he marries uh into the noble family of Vincent Brightholm. He has three children. So he's a, he's a little bit more respected. Plus he's a scholar and, a, and an anthropologist. Of course, what did he study? Well, he studies, his interest in anthropology is really tied to his uh, grandfather's investigations into Africa. Uh, quote, it was he who first studied scientifically the vast collection of relics, which his mad grandfather had brought from Africa and who had made his name his family name is celebrated in ethnography as an exploration. So this is the height of it, right? Um, so he has three sons, uh, the, or three kids. I think, I'm not sure they're, they're all, we don't know the gender of two of them. But the, the, the oldest and the youngest are, were never seen publicly because they were deformed, right? And then the one that could be seen in public, Neville, is a quote singularly repellent person who seemed to combine the surliness of philip german with the hauteur of the bright homes he ran away with a vulgar dancer but was pardoned upon his return the following year he came back to german house a widower with an infant son alfred who was one day to be the father of arthur german so what's the story here so uh robert german eventually kills himself and why is he how does he do this well he in 1852 he gets uh he's contacted by an explorer samuel seaton Right, who has been also exploring the, the kind of the notes of Wade German and kind of following up on Wade German's explorations, um, kind of another ethnographer, and he was collecting notes on the Unga people. So this was, quote, he believed that certain legends of a gray city of white apes ruled by a white god, and he thought that might prove valuable to the ethnog ethnog ethnologist. We're going to find out later that these stories are referring to Wade German himself. So Wade German's own exploration, this searching for the city of whites, in Africa predate that. That's mythology predating this. This is a new mythology that's emerged since Wade German's death. So actually, it's, it's interesting. We get a kind of a nice little side story here into oral traditions and, and, and the formation of a new oral tradition in Africa, uh, connecting to this, this quote-unquote white god who is none other than Wade German. So anyways, Seton tells him this story. He tells him what he finds. He, go, he goes to his house, tells him what he's discovered, and Robert German kills him. He then kills his children. He kills the two deformed children and kills Neville German, but he is able to defend his two-year-old son, um, who uh, Robert German was also trying to kill. It's not clear how he saves him. I'm not even sure how, how that was possible. But anyways, um, later... After this failed attempt to wipe out his family line, Robert German himself tries to tries suicide. Eventually, um, is is uh, confined and he dies a few years later, you know, possibly of suicide, but I'm sure. So, um, this is all kind of foreshadowing the fate of Arthur German. Now, the most wild. So, this Neville's son is Alfred. This is going to be Arthur German's father, right? Um, and he's kind of got the the most wild story in a way. Um, at the age of 20, he joined a, a band of music hall performers to become a musician. And at 36, he deserts his wife and child, his wife being Arthur, uh, to join the circus. He joins an American circus. And he he becomes like a gorilla trainer, right? So he's also drawn towards animals, just like, uh, just like uh, Philip uh, was, was drawn towards them. And he's training this gorilla and he gets in a fight with this gorilla and the gorilla and he ends up dying in this this fight with this gorilla it's, it's, um... 
We also get this nice uh, Anglo-American connection where this German family starts to have connections to, to America. So then we get the story of, of Arthur German. Um, and basically, he doesn't marry, so he doesn't have kids. So the family line can very easily end with him, um, conveniently. Um, but he's mostly interested in digging up his family history. He hears the tales of, of Wade German. He tells tales of this Portuguese wife, uh, her Latin blood. And, you know, he starts becoming interested in his own, you know, own heritage. Now, like the other Germans, he has the same kind of physical characteristics that other people find revolting. Um, um, now, he's able to get some respectability because he's a poet and he's an intellectual. Quote, the poetic delicacy of Arthur German was the more remarkable because of his uncouth personal experience. Experience. Most of the Germans had possessed a subtly odd and repellent cast, but Arthur's case was very striking. It's hard to say just what he resembled, but his expression, his facial angle, and the length of his arms gave a thrill of repul repulsion to those who met him for the first time. Again, this is something that's explicable if you understand his great-great-great-grandmother being a uh, gorilla. But it's a... You know, if you just see it on the street, you're like, wow, that's a really weird um, way of looking. It's just, uh, it's kind of like the Innsmouths looking that way, right? It's like, in, you don't, if you don't know their deep ones or, or they're, you know, they're connected to deep ones, it's, it's like they look sort of fish-like, but they still look human and they just, they just look weird and, and off to you. You know, Lovecraft, of course, has this deeply racial consciousness about, about others, right? And he... You know, he's got this eugenicist. Uh, he, he buys the, the language and the philosophy of the eugenicists. Um, but he, has, he is an educated poet and a scholar. And so he begins his investigation into the stories of, of Sir Wade, um, including things like, uh, you know, he starts to get stories also of jungle hybrids, so kind of racial hybrids or half ape, half human hybrids. So this is the first clear statement about the human Z uh, phenomenon. It's not till his mother dies that Arthur German finally begins to focus full time on these investigations. And eventually he he sets sail for the Congo himself to kind of fulfill this, uh, the, you know, to complete the, ex the explorations of his great, great, great grandfather. But also this is something that other members of his family did. Of course, his great, great grandfather did the same thing, vanished off to to Africa. Um, but he, he does this all up and up. He doesn't just desert like his great-great-grandfather. He gets approval from the Belgian authorities. He spends time as, as a true ethnographer. So he's much more scientific than his great-great-grandfather who just deserted to live among the, you know, his, their, his, his maternal ancestors, I guess. And he's looking for answers to various stories. The, the white god, the the stone city, the white apes, all those things. And he gets stories from the, the Africans he runs into, um, including one guy, uh, kind of a, a seer, an aged chief, a historian called Muwanu. And he tells of a gray, gray city and hybrid creatures that have been destroyed by uh, another tribe, the Nabungas. So... Um, there's not really, this is a, a made up try, but you almost have like a, a, a doom that came to Sarnath kind of feel to this. Remember before the doom came to Sarnath, the people of Sarnath eradicated the people of Ib, right? Destroyed them entirely. So maybe they knew something and, and tried to abolish them and destroy them before, um, it could be exposed to the world. 
Um, it's just a subtle line here, but it, it's a theme that comes up a lot in Lovecraft stories, the necessity to destroy entirely these, these horrific truths. But anyways, Muwanu gives uh, Arthur German the story of this ape princess and the white god. Quote, the ape princess, it was said, became the consort of a great white god who'd come out of the West. For a long time, they had reigned over the city together. But when they had a son, all three went away. Later, the god and the princess had returned. And upon the death of the princess, had her divine husband or her divine husband had mummified the body and enshrined it into a vast host of stone where it was worshipped. Then he had departed alone. So this fits exactly with uh, Wade German's story. Of course, now it's an oral tradition coming out of Central Africa. Uh, and he gets some other stories, too, that are that differ in a little bit of, you know, a few facts, which, of course, happens in oral traditions all the time. Um, quote, according to one story, nothing further happened save that the stuffed goddess became a symbol of supremacy for whatever tribe might possess it. And quote, kind of like the statue in the Dune that came to Sarnath. Um, quote, it was for this reason that the Nubungas carried it off. A second story told of the god's return and death at the feet of his enshrined wife. A third told of the return of the son, grown to manhood or aphood or godhood, as the case may be, yet unconscious of his identity. Surely the imagination of blacks had made the most of whatever events might lie beneath the extravagant legendary. Now that third story, of course, is referring to, to Philip, who, who did in fact come back. So that seems to be grounded in truth. Um, so Arthur German tries to work out the reality of the story. Um, and he actually does find evidence of this jungle city, right? And he says that size might have been exaggerated, yet the stones lying above prove that it was no mere Negro village, end quote. So a little bit of uh, obviously Africans created cities, not just in Egypt, but throughout Sub-Saharan Africa, West Africa, um, and we're learning more and more about them. There's a wonderful book called uh, African Civilizations. It's fairly old, but it, it digs, it's basically a synthesis of anthropology and archaeology and really archaeology in Africa and looking at various cities um, as far south as, of course, Great Zimbabwe, uh, tied intimately to the East African coast. You have the whole East African coastal empires and merchant societies as well. So, you know, Lovecraft's obviously just feeding into the, the racist assumptions about the nature of African civilizations, of course. So if there is going to be cities there, they're going to have to be rooted in some, have some different origin, right? So he eventually returns, but not before talking to uh, Ver, a man named Ver, Verheeren, who uh, was a Belgian agent uh, in the Congo. This is still when the Belgians controlled the Congo. Um, and he says, okay, I'm going to keep looking into this. And when I find this artifact, this essentially this, this um, goddess, this stuffed goddess, I'll send it to you. And then that should be able to confirm all these stories, uh, the stories of your great, great, great grandfather and all the other stories that have come up. So he goes home, he waits for the box and um, the box eventually does, does come. Um, now, he thinks about this story of his great, great, great grandmother because he knows that she died in Africa. And he, he starts to try to reason what, what the reality of the story is in his own family history. Um, quote, his great, great, great grandmother, he recalled, was said to have been the daughter of a Portuguese trader in Africa. No doubt her practical heritage and superficial knowledge of the dark continent had caused her to flout Sir Wade's talk of the interior, a thing which such a man would not be likely to forgive. She had died in Africa, perhaps dragged thither by a husband determined to prove what he had told. Uh, so the story he kind of puts together here is that 
his great 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 grandmother just didn't believe the stories of that that Wade was going on about when he was drinking or whatever and didn't believe him and Wade to convince her took her to Africa on one of these expeditions where she died um anyways that's what he thinks might be the rational explanation we know enough by this point in the story to to be able to predict the reality um but it's all revealed in the final next page uh we're getting towards the end here so uh he gets a letter it's 1913 he gets a letter from Ver Heron saying he found the stuffed goddess he's going to send it to him right but he did say also that it was really in an imperfect condition and it couldn't even be told whether it was simian or human so i guess there's some ambiguity here whether his great-great-grandmother is one of these hybrids maybe it's a it's a human ape hybrid or was it a straight-up gorilla uh, from from the congo that he maybe it's the hybrid um but he he warns him that it's in bad condition and the scientists haven't been able to really um understand you know to to fully investigate what it is but there is physical evidence here quote around the creature's neck neck had been found a golden chain bearing an empty locket on which were memorial designs no doubt some hapless traveler's keepsake taken by the namugas and hung on the goddess as a charm in commenting on the contour of the mummy's face, Mr. Veerhanaran suggested a whimsical comparison, or rather expressed a humorous wonder just how it would strike his correspondent, end quote. Suggesting here there's a physical similarity in the facial features with his, with his uh, court, with, with Arthur Verman. So on August 3rd, 1913, he gets the box. He clears the servants out of the room. He opens the box. It takes him a few minutes to open up the box. It's, you know... And he sees inside, and immediately he goes to kill himself. And at this point, the, the narrator has to rely on the, the story, the, the, the eyewitness account of Soames, one of the family servants, this old family butler, who is able to recount the story of, of Arthur German's suicide, filling himself with oil and, and killing himself, ending the House of German. The final paragraph of the story, which I'll just read out to you, gives the final punchline to this tale. Um, quote, the reason why Arthur German's charred fragments were not collected and buried lies in what was found afterward, principally the thing in the box. The stuffed goddess was a nauseous sight, withered and eaten away, but it was clearly a mummified white ape of some unknown species, less hairy than any recorded variety and infinitely near mankind. Quite shockingly so. Detailed descriptions would be rather unpleasant, but two salient particulars must be told, for they fit in revoltingly with certain notes in Sir Wade German's African expeditions and with the Congolese legends of the white god and the princess. The two particulars in question are these. The arms of the golden locket around the creature's neck were the German arms, and the jocuse suggestion of Mr. Verheron about a certain resemblance as connected with the shriveled face applied with vivid, ghastly, and unnatural horror to none other than the sensitive Arthur German, great-great-great-grandson of Wade, Sir Wade German, and an unknown wife. Members of the Royal Anthropological Institute burned the thing and threw the locket in the well, and some of them do not admit that Arthur German even existed. End quote. So we have actually here a couple examples of the tension between exposing truth and knowledge and forgetting. One seems to be the, this African tribe, the Nambugas, who tried to destroy this village or destroy this city. Well, but, um, but the story carries on. Who? Well, um, Muwanu carries on the story. The German family carries on the story. And finally, science and, and just the, this curiosity and in, of inquiry 
scientific inquiry carries it on through Robert German and his anthropological research, Seamus, this other anthropologist, Arthur German himself, who carries on this, this desire to expose the truth. But uh, no less a scientific body than the Royal Anthropological Institute knows better, and they know to destroy this because to publish on this, to talk about this as a case study would reveal a reality that's just too horrific for the world to know. So not only to destroy the this mummy, this priceless artifact, but uh, destroy the locket. The locket, of course, has this the emblem of the German family, right? Which clearly, it's not just the facial features. Arthur Germany also has the royal crest or the family, it's not the royal crest, the family crest that, you know, was given to her by, by Wade German, it seems. So, um, so forgetting this desire to forget, such a common theme in Lovecraft. We're going to see it again and again in the case of Charles Dexter Ward, uh, certainly in The Rats in the Wall, uh, the, the Lurking Fear, uh, to a degree The Outsider. I mean, I think this is a running theme in so much of Lovecraft's um, fiction, and it's so important to how we think about history when we read Lovecraft, because, you know, history is so much about exposing a truth about the past, and, um, and Lovecraft doesn't want that. And I asked before on this podcast, why is it that Lovecraft is so interested in the 18th century with giving his, his racist ideas, his fears of interbreeding, of immigration, all that because the 18th century was a very global century. Some historians have called it the first global century. You have, of course, the creation of this very cosmopolitan Atlantic world in that century, more than any other century, perhaps. Uh, a creation of cosmopolitan Atlantic world where you have uh, biracial people throughout the Americas, throughout Africa on the coast. You have societies being connected like never before. You have migration of different types, forced and free. Um, it's a weird century to emulate. Yeah, and if you're in London in the, you know, hanging around Samuel Johnson, maybe it's one thing. But the reality of the world, which Lovecraft is obviously aware of, his stories are very, very worldly, very global. Often, I mean, they're they're not all like locked in Arkham. They're they're really global stories. Most of them have this kind of global element, a connection to the sea, a connection to the dreamlands, a connection to uh, the broader world, right? Again and again, like his great stories, the Call of Cthulhu, at the, ma uh, at the Mountains of Madness, uh, Whisper in Darkness, uh, or no, one I'm thinking of is The Sh uh, Shadow of Time. These are all really stories of global exploration and, and a global, they're global stories anyways, very worldly. Um, so he knows this. He's not really someone who writes just about Arkham. Right. In the same way. So I think his fascination for the 18th century, it seems to be a Samuel Johnson kind of, he likes that kind of intellectual culture, that world, that London world. But the reality of the 18th century is different. And how do you combine that? Well, one way you can combine that, one way you can justify that is to forget, is to abolish the reality of what happened. And I'm thinking here of a, a moment in the case of Charles Dexter Ward, when in the context of the American Revolution, they destroy Kerwin's estate and and make big basically make a vow of silence about what they've seen and what was Kerwin doing among other things he was involved in the slave trade all right so it, it strikes me that the slave trade is what's partially being uh, forgotten in that story and here um the royal anthropological institute wants to forget of course 
we understand German wanting to forget. We understand Robert German and, Alf and, and, and Arthur German realizing that they're, they're related to monkeys and not wanting to face that and, and choosing suicide instead. That's understandable. But the scientists getting on board this forgetting, I think, is the most striking element of the story. Um, also going on in this wonderful little tale are, is, of course, uh, the whole legacy of, of heredity, of family, the, the sins of the father being carried on to later generations. Um, a narrative exploration. I love that stuff in Lovecraft. I mean, at the Mountains of Madness, one of his, seeing this as one of his greatest stories, if not his greatest story, is all about exploration, right? And digging deeper into the earth and, and into the past. So, yeah, I love this story. I really like this one. I, there's so much fun in it. There's so many great moments. Um, yeah, dig into it. If you haven't read it yet and you're a Lovecraft fan, you really should. It's, it's, it shouldn't be missed. So, anyways, that's my thoughts on uh, facts concerning the late Arthur German and his family. Um, in fact, it was published under different titles. You might see it under, uh, uh, what is it? I'm trying to find it. Uh, the White Ape, that's how it was published in 1924 as The White Ape, and just published as Arthur German in 1935. But its original name was The Facts Concerning the Late Arthur German and His Family, which I think is a better title. It more tells what's going on there. It's just long. Um, so that's, I think that's going to be it. So um, obviously an important story and one I, I like quite a lot and, and, and recommend. Um, so next up, the next story is The Temple. The Temple, uh, another World War I story, uh, has some similarities to Dagon, but it's told from more from the German point of view. So we get some, some of uh, his opinion, his commentary on, on German military culture, um, but very, very, kind of like Dagon in the sense of, of finding some lost civilization under the sea. Kind of an Atlantis story in a way. So um, another, another nice one. So. I'm looking forward to talking about the temple with you next. So that's going to be it for now. Uh, leave your own comments below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll see you next time.